welcome everyone to LDS Real People Real Lives podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Colvin, coming to you from Southern California, and thank you for joining us and listening. For my first episode, I wanted to launch this series on the right foot, a firm foundation, if you will. So I chose faith. As I have studied, wrote in my journal, and searched the scriptures prayerfully, I have found the key ingredient for everything in this gospel, and I mean everything, is faith. And with that, I wanted to tell you my story and how I came into the church. I think it's important to share and open up because the tender mercies of God were showered over my husband and I when we met. I was born and raised in the gospel. I am so grateful that I was raised to know the simple basics of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine. From when I was little, I would pray. You know, in primary, they always teach you to pray. And you sing wonderful songs that are faith-promoting songs that build that foundation. But I think often for us kids, we are living off the light of our parents and those that surround us. At some point, we have to have our own testimony. Growing up in the gospel was a little bit of a challenge for me because I had some issues in my life that um, created a character or somebody, a little girl who uh, I very much leaned on my addictions. So I started smoking in elementary school. Now, I was born in the early 70s. And I started smoking in fourth grade, and I think that's around 10 years old. And there was a lot going on in my life. And uh, as I progressed and got older, especially through junior high and high school, those addictions just added up. And so my poor choices um, set me up to have kind of a hard life. I have a really good family. And my parents have always done the best that they can. I have four brothers and uh, I had a really good upbringing, but of course it wasn't perfect. And so when I graduated high school, I stopped attending church. I felt like I wanted to go out and live on my own terms. And it's so funny because I think a lot of us feel that way when we leave high school and uh, we want to go out and live life as we want to live it. And yet, little do we know that the choices and decisions that we're making, which are so important, can have these huge consequences. I didn't really wrap my head around the consequences of my choices and decisions at that time. I had actually graduated high school when I was 17 and uh I moved out of the house right away. So I moved into an apartment with a bunch of roommates. I had a job. Uh, The one thing that I can say about being born and raised in the gospel is that I always had a very firm and loving connection with Heavenly Father. I clearly understood and heard the Spirit. Um, When I was a little girl, I was always praying to Heavenly Father for He was my solace and my comfort. And I knew that he could hear me. Uh, I remember playing out in the backyard. Well, let me start first. There was a story that I wanted to share when I was at primary. 
we had learned that the earth was a spirit too. And so in my little brain, I thought, well, if the earth is a spirit too, then that means this, the earth is alive and it's part of Heavenly Father's creations. And I remember going home after church that day and walking in to uh, change and running out. We had this big, beautiful backyard and running out into the backyard. And I went to the side of the house where I had some privacy. And I remember looking at the ground and having this full on conversation um, with the ground and it was dirt. We had some fruit trees on the side of the house and, uh, I fully believed that the earth was going to talk back to me because that's what I was taught in the gospel. This is how much, you know, as, as you hear that Christ says he loves the children and he wants us to be childlike. He wants to be as loving, as faithful, as accepting as they are. That's very much how I was, and I was really disappointed when the earth or the ground didn't talk back to me. <clears throat> but that is the faith that I've always had, and uh, I'm grateful to, from a young age, have gained my own testimony that the church was true. And I gained that because when I was getting baptized, I remember I had some questions, and I went to talk to my dad, who... I have always been very close to, especially having spiritual conversations. And he really encouraged me to find my own testimony. And he pushed me in the direction of a few books and of course the Book of Mormon. But then there was another book that he told me to read. I don't really remember the name of it, but I do remember that I read one or two chapters and I prayed about it. And from that point on, I knew that this was the Church of Jesus Christ. And so I chose to get baptized. As I got older and continued to live my life and make some poor decisions, my faith was always there. And the one that got me through everything, that helped me to push forward and continue to go on, even though I think oftentimes teenagers were so in the moment and in the passion and in the feelings of it all that sometimes we can feel like we want to throw in the towel. And I remember feeling that way several times myself and uh, turning to my Heavenly Father through prayer. Now, did I do that immediately? Mm, not every single time. But I know eventually I hit my knees and uh, I learned how to give it up to God, but I didn't know how to be happy even in exercising that faith. So when I graduated from high school, I moved out and proceeded to have a couple of very challenging marriages. And I got pregnant when I was 19, was married and had my first son just before I turned 20 years old, had my second son just before, or actually just after I had turned 21, and uh, was divorced probably a year, year and a half later after that. I met my second husband a few years down the road and was with him for eight or nine, maybe 10 years. And, uh, you know, it was quite an experience, definitely an education, one that's uh, shaped and molded me. All of those experiences have played into my strength and my character and who I know I am. Uh, you know, oftentimes we'll find that our trials and challenges will show us our metal and what we're made of. Um, 
So I knew that I was strong. I knew that I had to be independent, that I had to be financially independent to provide for my boys and make sure they were taken care of. And I always kind of felt alone, even when I was in relationships, but I always knew that the church was there. And this is another great thing about the gospel and the organization of the church here on earth is that you have people that stop by. So even though you're not attending, you're not going, you haven't been there in a long time, you have these tender mercies that pop up through a home teacher, you know, a ministering angel, or maybe somebody who knew you as a kid and wanted to know how things were going for you because all of a sudden your name just popped up. And I don't believe in coincidences, that's for sure. I know that Heavenly Father has always watched over me, but allowing that knowledge to be my peace and comfort was really hard to maintain. Um, but, you know, he did reach out to me several times. And I, and looking back on that, I really appreciated that. I knew that he was always there. Um, I did suffer with some issues within our family, in particular with an older sibling of mine. And I had a very loving, sweet bishop as I tried to get back into church. Uh, probably in my early 30s, late 20s, who really worked with me on my ability to be able to forgive and move on. And my mom had bought me a book, um, or actually the bishop did, called The Peacemaker. And I remember reading that, and within the first few chapters, I was so moved by the teaching of forgiveness that um, I was really humbled. It was one of those moments that just becomes a catalyst where you can go from just seeking a lot of um, <clears throat> bitterness and anger and vengeance to that humbling that could only come through the Spirit of God, where you're willing to give up all of that anger and frustration and bitterness and just say, you know what, I love you and I forgive you, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to have boundaries. Um, and we'll talk about some of this in other episodes as we move along here. So uh, fast forwarding a little bit, I had left my second husband in January of 2011. And I know that the way I was feeling at the time as I felt super, super lost, definitely felt like a huge failure. Um, I was not somebody and I don't think really anybody who gets married says, oh, hey, you know, I want to be divorced once, twice, or three times. Um, and that was not me. When I got married, I wanted to stay married. And I and I tried really hard in my relationships to make them work. Uh, but the one thing that I really learned from my marriages is that it takes two to make it work. And for any marriage that's going to last longer than five, ten years, you really have to have guts and grit and the ability to be forgiving, to be unselfish, and to compromise, to work things out, to take away. I'm a very reactionary person, and that just did not bode well for my relationships. So um, when I had left my husband in January of 2011, I had moved back home with my parents. My mom and dad have always been so good to me and so wonderful. Um, but even with all of that love that surrounded me and with my siblings and my kids, they were in high school, I still felt worthless. And so I was trying to establish a circle of friends. I hadn't really had friends because I'd always been raising kids and had a family from a young age. And so I was going out and I was meeting people, um, trying to develop friendships, but I was very much in the world. So these 
where I was going was not necessarily the greatest place to make friends, you know, clubs, bars, um, you know, going out on NFL night and uh, just doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And believe you me, it didn't make me any happier, happier at all. So I want to say it was probably around the beginning of August. Um, I had been, I had took a break from work. It was a 15 minute break, went outside to smoke a cigarette and I had my iPhone with me and I was just really frustrated, frustrated with meeting people who had jobs being from Fresno, California. I love Fresno. We're surrounded by three national parks and, you know, it's a quick access to the Bay area, to the central coast, a great place to raise your family. Um, but it also, for somebody who's in their thirties, I was in my late thirties, it can be really hard to find people who are of the same age, um, who you can make friends with because they're not really looking for new friends. They have their friends established. And so I was really frustrated and I wasn't willing to go back to church because I enjoyed my vices. And, uh, but I always knew that the church was true. So when I was out taking this break from work, I was looking to kill time and I got onto the Apple apps store. Now, you know, when you go on there, they're always promoting the app of the day or the week or the month. And they had put this app on there that was like a a dating app. And so I just downloaded it and I didn't really think twice about it. And that's the most amazing kind of mind-numbing thing about this whole situation is that I didn't really think about any of these things that I was doing. And yet... After I share the fullness of the story, we'll look back and see how the Lord was guiding me. And unbeknownst to me, I had a willing heart. And uh, so I downloaded this dating app and I just started to scroll through these pictures. I'm smoking my cigarette, scrolling through these pictures and um, not really thinking anything about it. And then I come across this picture of this man who's a very large man. He's tall. You can tell he's definitely well-built, um, looked like a, a heavy lifter, like a heavy weight lifter. And uh, he had a beard. He had beautiful eyes. I just remember his eyes being so beautiful and sparkling. He had on this hat. He had his arms crossed. He was tattooed all over. And uh, I was like, hmm, he's cute. But from past experience, I knew that guys that typically look like this, it's not always the best experience, at least in my life. It hasn't been. So I keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And then I decide to go back and look at his picture again. And and I select his profile. And his tagline on his profile was uh, something to the effect that he's a tatted up history teacher. And so he's a walking contradiction. And then, of course, I thought, well, he's got to be educated to be a teacher. So I went in, went back to work later on, went out, back out for break, and I decided to sign up on this dating app. And I messaged him and reached out to him. 
he ended up responding, I want to say within a couple of hours and we had talked a little bit and then we exchanged phone numbers. We started texting and then, um, you know, we decided that we we're having some good conversations via text and uh, we decided to talk to each other on the phone. <clears throat> so we did that. And we had some really good conversations on the phone. He was very, very open. And um, we decided to meet up halfway between where he was living and where I was living. And so that put us in Bakersfield. And <clears throat> for me to meet somebody in Bakersfield by myself, I needed it to be a public place, you know, well-known place that was going to have a lot of people. So I said Marriott Hotel because they have a restaurant there. And uh, so we set it up and I left all my information, where I was going, when I was going, his picture, his address, everything with my younger brother, just to make sure if anything happened, that he would at least know what I was doing and he could tell the cops something when they came across my dead body or something. I don't know. You just heard this was back in 2011. So there was just constant not the best stories about online dating. And I wasn't really looking to date. I was just looking to make friends and hang out and uh, just kind of put feelers out there. I don't really know, like I said, what I was thinking, but it just felt natural to do. And um, I went to go meet him in Bakersfield. It takes about an hour and a half to two hours to get there from Fresno. And I, there was a few times that I almost turned around and went back home because I was scared. I mean, the sky was huge. And one of the comments that my younger brother made before I left, who is 6'6 six, six and, and a good size himself, was congratulations, Stephanie. <laughs> You're going to meet the one guy that I can't do anything against if he does something to you. So... That kind of kept replaying in my brain as I was walking or actually driving out to Bakersfield. Um, and I remember one time I actually got off on one of the off ramps. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. And it's a safe place. And if it doesn't go the way that, you know, I don't know, if it doesn't go well, then I can just leave. So I continued on to Bakersfield. And I made sure I was there before him. I got there early. I sat down in the lobby and I chose a seat where I could see they had these glass doors that would open one side to the right the other side to the left so literally it would just open like you're the king of the world and I sat in this chair and I was on my phone and I realized as I was on my phone and time was ticking away that oh my gosh it's time for him to be here so I got up out of the seat and I realized that there was a pillar in my way so I grab my purse and I take one step around the pillar and I look out those double doors and lo and behold, in the parking lot, down the lane of the parking lot, walking towards those double doors is this huge, very good looking man who really looks uh, confident um, he looks like he really knows himself and what he has to offer. He just exudes self-assuredness, just very, very confident. And my, I could not stop this smile that started to slowly creep across my face. It just would not stop. I was thinking in my head, stop being a dork, stop being a dork, and like 
you know, be cool about this. But as he got closer and closer to the door and those doors slid open to let him walk through, my smile was like the Cheshire cat. I could not help it. It was from ear to ear. I walked up to him. He had this slow saunter about himself that was just very, very attractive. Um, And I was just drawn to him immediately. So I came in, gave him a hug, and I was going to give him a kiss on the cheek. Now, I I have come to find out, as I've shared this story with other people, that they would think that's very forward. And he definitely thought that was very forward. I did not because in my world, we hug all the time and kiss on the cheek. It wasn't a big deal. But he thought that I was coming in to kiss him on the lips. And it caught him off guard. And I remember catching that. But, you know, I was okay. I can roll with the punches there. I'm, I'm fine with that. So we moved on into the restaurant. And we sat down. Now, this was nine years ago. And what I remember when I sat down and I looked at him is he had the most, like, green, yellow eyes with these shooting starbursts of sunlight coming out of them. It was just so crazy. I was just like sucked into his eyes and he started to talk. He was very open and very uh, honest about who he is and what he does and kind of what his life was all about. And I was too. And we just talked and talked. And I remember we had a great night. We did a lot of laughing and we continued to uh, move on and do other things after dinner that night. So when we were done, I drove home to Fresno and he went home to his house. So we continued to talk and chat and he had mentioned that he was starting work pretty soon because he's a teacher and um, if we wanted to see each other again, it would have to be soon. And I said, well, I'm willing to come to where you are. And he said, would you? And I said, of course. And so he said, great. Now, granted, if my kids ever did this, I would be scared spitless. I would not want them to do this at all. And I can't even believe I did this. This is totally out of character for me, actually. But here again, there was just something about this situation that I did not catch on at that time that this was just meant to be. So I drove to his home, which was about three hours south of me. And he lived in a city called Ventura which is about 25 miles south of Santa Barbara. And I drove in from the freeway. I followed the directions, GPS. I got to his house. I pulled up. He actually lived in an apartment at that time. Uh, I went up the stairs. He had the door open, and I remember just being so nervous. Oh my gosh, so nervous. And I remember hesitating at that first step, like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Should I just turn around and go home? But there was just something that was pulling me to him. So I walked up those stairs. I walked inside his apartment and I looked to the left and there he is sitting. And as soon as I see him and he sees me, he's got, he gets this big smile on his face And uh, my heart just, I mean, Twitter painted at that point. It was thumping so hard. And I was so excited to see him. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, I ended up going and taking the chance 
because he's now my husband. We've been married now since October 2013. Um, we've been together since August of 2011. And um, we actually ended up together because one of the times that I had come to visit him, it was early on in the relationship in September. He had torn his uh, tendon in his right elbow. And so he was having surgery and I didn't know that I had driven to Ventura to go visit him and he had told me he was having this surgery. Excuse me. So I went with him. His dad was there. I waited for him to get out of surgery and the nurse came out. It was outpatient and said, you know, he's going to need this and that and da, 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 da. And he had this huge cast on his arm. Um, and I remember his dad saying to the nurse, you know, it's okay. I'm going to hire somebody to, uh, take care of him because his dad lived in a different city and, you know, being LDS and just being me, I am someone who I realize after, cause I'm 47 that I am just someone that likes to help. I like to care give. I like to take care of people. And, uh, I really had to learn boundaries with that, but, With him, I remember telling his dad, you know, you're not going to hire someone. At the time, I just thought that was so foolish to pay money to have somebody come in and take care of him. So I decided that I was going to stay and help him, but I had to be there for six weeks. And I was really concerned about my kids. Uh, My oldest had already graduated from high school. My youngest was just finishing his junior year. But at the time between I got married and met Jed eight months later, they had already moved on and with their own lives. So they weren't really at home with me at my mom's house. And I don't blame them because I was a lost little puppy for a very long time. And uh, so I called the boys, uh, my sons, and let them know what was going on. And they said, of course, mom, it's okay. And I'll just always be grateful for them always having a good attitude about that. And so I got off the phone, went back into the doctor's office and told his dad that I would stay and take care of him. And that six weeks is when we fell in love. He came out of there and he had this huge cast on from his shoulder to his wrist. That cast must have weighed. It was so heavy. So he needed help with everything from showering to eating to getting ready. And we had some of the most wonderful times in the morning when I would help him shower. We would just laugh and giggle at the whole situation because I'd have to wrap it up. And I hadn't ever, you know, this is a lot of personal. I'm seeing him naked. And um, so we kind of nervously giggled and laughed, but we ended up, it it just became this natural thing. And uh, again, I wasn't in the gospel at the time, but I always knew the church was true, but I didn't live the gospel. And so he and I were very much clicking. And again, in those six weeks, we just fell in love. We had some of the most wonderful experiences, the most tender experiences. And... um, I'll always be grateful for that time because honestly, I think Heavenly Father knows me really well. Something like that had to happen to get me to stay because I would have never stayed for that length of time uh, on my own. And uh, that six weeks gave us time to really get to know each other in a very close, intimate way um, that was very actually clean and pure. Uh, There was nothing, you know, really going on per se, Um, you know, 
we just, it was very, very clean and pure. It was two people who were falling in love. And so I ended up after the end of that six weeks moving in with him. And we lived together for, gosh, a year and a half, almost two years. And, uh, you know, we had a good life. We were getting to know each other. We were building a life together. And we had moved into a bigger apartment here in Ventura, which, by the way, I'm a total beach girl. And uh, I used to go to, every summer, I would go to Cayucas and Cambria and Pismo and Morro Bay. You know, those were my places to go and hang out. And uh, to find out that Ventura was, like, a beach town. I had no clue. The furthest south I had ever been was Santa Barbara on the coast. Of course, I had been to LA and San Diego, but I had never been to Ventura. And I had only found out that Ventura was a beach town because we were on the 101 heading north. And all of a sudden there was the water. Here again, tender mercies. Heavenly Father knows me. He knows I've always wanted to live by the beach. That was my biggest dream. Um, But that was quickly squashed when I started to have kids and then I was divorced. I was anchored to Fresno because of the child custody. Um, so it was just a, a, such a tender moment. I know that he and I, we did have some differences as we were getting to know each other. And, uh, there was one time that I tried to leave because I just felt like, you know, this was a hard transition. I, I, my mom lived a mile away from me. My brother lived two miles away from me. We all, we've always lived near each other. I've always been around family. I couldn't ever imagine leaving my sons. And, uh, so I thought, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I, and I'm so fresh off my second divorce and I was, I firm in my mind that I was never, ever, ever going to get married again. So I decided to leave and I told him I was leaving and I wasn't going to do this. And I had made a poor decision. And so I packed my things up. I loaded up my car and I sat there in the car and I had the hardest time, the hardest time driving away. And I remember thinking in my head, why is this so difficult? I barely even know this person. And, um, so I threw the car in reverse. I drove out, I got on the freeway and it was like the further I went, the harder it got. It literally physically hurt. Like there was a tether that was between, that was in my chest and it was tethered between he and I. And the further I went, that tether was getting tighter and tighter, and it was physically hurting. So I turned around, and I went back, and as I was driving back, I just knew that he was the one. So I decided to stay, and I went, I remember walking up the stairs into the apartment, and there he was, waiting for me, uh, looking distraught. I, and I couldn't believe it. I remember thinking to myself, like, why is he so upset? And then that's when I knew that he was also in love with me, too. So I moved to Ventura, and uh, we got an apartment together, and we started to build our life together. And after, I want to say, about a year or so, it's probably, so this would happen fall of 2011, 
it's the summer of 2013. I want to say actually pre-summer, probably like May. I had received a phone call on my cell phone, and this was a missionary that said that they were referred to me by my brother that he had come from his ward in Utah. He lives outside of Salt Lake, and he instructed him to hit me up, saying that I was living in Ventura with my boyfriend, and um, since he got the Ventura mission call, he asked him to please come and visit us, and this guy was calling us, basically telling us this is what happened, and it was so interesting because when I said hello, he started to introduce himself, and they started to tell me a lot about myself and my life, which was really weird, but then when I understood how we got connected, I was like, wow, okay, you know, and he, he mentioned that he was already transferred. He had transferred out to Ventura, so he was going to leave my name and number for the next missionaries who ended up being sister missionaries. Now, they stopped by one night, and they popped in, and I think we had just gotten done working out, and so I, you know, we we were at home. He had just got done taking a shower. I was in the shower and uh, he came and told me that they were at the door and I said, please tell them to come back some other time. So they left their card. Uh, two weeks later, I was cleaning the apartment and I came across the card underneath the recliner and um, I picked it up, stopped the vacuum, grabbed my cell phone. And I called the number and the sister missionaries picked up. I said, this is who I am. You know, this is, you guys left your card and we'd like to set up an appointment. My husband, or actually my boyfriend at the time, would like to know more about the church. Now, his name is Jed and he had told me that he wanted to learn more about the religion, especially since we were creating this life together. And so I thought that's all he was doing. So we set up an appointment and the missionaries came over and they were our rock star missionaries. They truly were the missionaries that were meant to, to teach him. Um, if it wasn't for them, you know, I don't know if he would have been baptized, but, you know, Heavenly Father knows us so well. He knows us better than we know ourselves and he knew exactly who to send, exactly who he needed. And so we started meeting with the missionaries every week. They were teaching a lesson. And I sat there and I listened because I knew that they were there focusing mostly on Jed. And once again, I always knew the church is true. I just wasn't ready to give up my lifestyle. And so I would sit there and I listened. And I was a firsthand witness to this change that was coming over my husband, once again, my boyfriend at the time, who was looking for other ways to come to know the gospel. He started reading the ensign and he would take that to work. And he would, he loved the articles because he felt they really spoke to him. They really spoke about the things that we deal with and, and, you know, this modern day, latter day living. And, um, he really enjoyed the ensign, uh, magazines, the talks, and he did read the Book of Mormon. They would always leave, you know, you always give the investigator a responsibility. So they would always ask him to read a certain amount of the Book of Mormon. And when they came back the following week, of course, he always read more because it's just the way he is. And um, I really got to see firsthand his conversion 
which was really touching. And it was such an awesome experience. And looking back on that now, I can see how I was reconverted to wanting to actively engage in the gospel. Now, when it came the time for him to decide if he wanted to be baptized, I was really hesitant because I knew that we had to get married or I'd have to move out. And I didn't want our situation to change. And sure enough, they asked him if he wanted to get baptized, and he said yes. And then I thought, oh, here we go. So they explained to him that there are some changes that needed to take place. And um, I told him after the missionaries had left that I was going to go home to visit my family. And I really needed to think about this. So I went home. And I hung out with my family and just took some time, just like kind of a big deep breath from the entire situation. And I know that there was one night in particular where I was in the room that I was staying in at my parents' house. And I was really thinking about it. And this one thought struck me that was just crystal clear. That if I did not put up or shut up at this point, and I didn't make this decision that he was going to get in the gospel. And I could see it just unfold in my mind. And he would leave me in the dust. He was going to move forward, and it was going to be all or nothing for him. And so I came back, and I decided to stay with him and to get married. And I was so hesitant to get married after having two divorces. I was really, really scared. I remember the sister missionaries told us to pray about it, and that next week we would talk about it again. So that week I made it a point to pray about whether or not we should be married. And I did take that time to do that. I made sure it was a quiet place, door shut, Uh, where it was just myself and I I could have this conversation with Heavenly Father and give it the time, the faith, and the desire to know what I should be doing. And um, I did receive an answer to a prayer while I was in Fresno that Jed was the one. So I did receive that confirmation. And I had never had that experience before. And uh, when they asked us to pray about, you know, whether or not we should be married, the answer I ended up receiving, and this was in August, was that, yes, we would be married and it would be October. So we were married on October 18th. He was baptized on October 19th. And then he was given the gift of the Holy Ghost and his name added to the Book of Life on that Sunday. So it was a it was a. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was the busiest weekend of my life. Um, It was also the most difficult weekend. It was hard in many, many, many ways, Uh, not because of me or Jed. It was, uh, you know, other family members, but, um, and not on my side, but uh, it was one of the best weekends of my life. And then we started to go to church, and my husband going from zero to 100, it's just the way he works. Next thing I know, I'm sitting at church every Sunday for three hours, 
And at first I didn't mind it so much, but after a while I was just getting kind of tired of having to get up and get dressed and put on my Sunday best and go to church and sit there for three hours. And um, I was getting a little bit disgruntled. I was also a little bit disgruntled because I knew that I was going to have to start aligning my life with the gospel and I wasn't ready to do that yet. There was one Sunday, I want to say it was in November or December, after we had gotten married in 2013, that we had come in a little bit late. We had sat in the back of the chapel, and when they were singing the sacrament hymn, of course, it's always all about our Redeemer and Advocate, Jesus Christ, that song just moved me and touched me so deeply that I felt the wonderful, sincere rapture of love for my Savior. And I just could not stop crying. I I cried the rest of that sacrament meeting. I could not get control over myself. Uh, What I know now that I didn't necessarily recognize then was that that was the Spirit and my loving Heavenly Father and Savior, Jesus Christ, working with me and changing my heart. You know, we talk about how, you know, in the gospel, you can truly change and you can have that 180 change effect in your life and it truly changes hearts and it takes you from you know, this place over here that, I mean, life is hard. Let's face it. Life is hard, but life is so much more endurable and sweeter to get through when you're in the gospel and you're all in. So that's when I decided that I was going to start making these changes. So in 2014, spring of 2014, I quit smoking. And it was one of the hardest things that I had ever done. I was going to the addiction classes on Thursday. And, you know, if anybody would ask me why it's so hard to quit smoking cigarettes, I would tell you because they were my best friend. They were there through everything. And uh, they were always there to console me. So it literally took me 27 times to quit. And I counted them because I needed to show myself. I mean, it just got to the point where I had to be so just disgusted with my inability to control myself and to get rid of that vice. But I remember the last time that I hit my knees, I remember pleading with Heavenly Father with my whole heart. You know, we read about this in the scriptures, you know, praying with your whole heart. What does that mean? And that was that prayer, pleading with Heavenly Father with my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole body, my whole mind, my whole spirit, that I was not going to be able to do this by myself and that I needed His help, that He had to be my backbone. And from then on, no more smoking. So I, you know, I had to work on other things like drinking. I stopped that that summer. Um, And, you know, I had some other things that what I realized is when you're out in the world, you acquire yuck. And so when you step back into the gospel, it takes some time to shake off that yuck. And that's why we have the principle of line upon line, precept upon precept, and here a little and there a little is because these things are 
going to be very slow and and that's how it sticks that's how it sticks is line upon line not taking these big bites and I think one of the biggest things that I've also learned is that I needed to be patient with myself um, I'm very hard on myself and I think as saints in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints we can be very hard on ourselves, and Heavenly Father would never want, nor the Savior, Jesus Christ, they would never want us to utilize the gospel to be hard on ourselves, to make life more difficult, to make it so such a stumbling block and an obstacle that we actually just say, you know what, I'm done, and I throw out my hands. So we need to be, you know, as we receive these tender mercies from Heavenly Father, we also need to be merciful to ourselves so that we can learn this experience here is an education and life is the curriculum. And we just need to be patient with ourselves, be kind with ourselves and be loving. So Jed and I went, you know, after we got married, um, Three months, it was just pure hell for us. And I remember calling my parents every day, every week, and just saying, is this really what happens when we're making good choices and choosing the right and inviting God into our lives? And for us, yes, that was our trial. And because of the support that we had around us and our own desire to be faithful and to be disciplined and devoted and committed, we made it through. And we fast forward now several years and we've held several different callings that have just been amazing experiences for us. Right now we're in primary teaching the eight, nine and 10 year olds, which I would have never even dreamed of being in primary. My kids are in their twenties. It's been a long time since I've been around kids that age. And uh, there's one thing that I heard recently that's really stuck in my craw. And that is, as we rely on heavenly father and we, we want to seek out his will because father in heaven, just very simply He's got a better imagination than we do. And I know that by meeting Jed, um, even having my children, I found out later in my 20s, I had such extreme and severe endometriosis that if I hadn't had my kids at a young age, I would have never been able to have children. And so I see through my life as I reflect how Heavenly Father has had his hand over my life and he's provided me with everything that I could have ever hoped for or dreamed of, and even things that I didn't even know that I needed or wanted. And so we live very, very devotedly um, doing our best. We are not perfect by any means, but we always do our best. And I know that's all that is required. I wanted to share the definition of faith to close this episode and I had come across this article on the churchofjesuschrist.org website. It's titled Faith in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul taught that faith is the substance or assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that can be found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I love this scripture that teaches us about Heavenly Father's tender mercies. In 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen 
because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Faith requires action. Faith requires conviction. Faith requires trust. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Remember to be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And God bless.